Good morning, everyone. Good morning and uh, welcome to Power Hour. Glad to have, have everyone joining us today. And I guess we can certainly say that spring has sprung in the low country. Wow, the weather, weather's been incredible and uh, I'm sure we've, you've all been enjoying that. And uh, while we've been enjoying that, we're certainly getting ready for a big week, week here at the Chamber coming up. And that's our Small Business Week, uh, which will run May 15th through the 19th. I think it's important to note that over 80% of our members are small businesses, and it's a week to celebrate the entrepreneurial spirit right here in the Low Country. The road to entrepreneurship, how local small businesses find success, that's going to be a, a topic that we're going to cover. And whether you're starting your own business or you're looking to grow your business, uh, one you already have, I can tell you that this seminar is the one for you. Our keynote speaker is amazing, he's got a great track record. And uh, he'll also be our moderator, and that's Zach Green. Zach's the uh, author of Warrior Entrepreneur, and his success simply speaks for itself. Zach grew one of his companies in, in the trunk of his car uh, to over $30 million in organic sales. How about that? He had clients such as Home Depot, Procter & Gamble, the U.S. government, and many, many more. He's the leader and co-founder of War Warrior Performance Framework, helping entrepreneurs realize their dreams. He's also a former Marine firefighter, and he'll be, in, he'll be joined by a panel of successful entrepreneurs with us that day. So you won't want to miss it. And I've asked Kelly to uh, put a link in the chat box, and she'll do that. And please sign up, and uh, we hope to see you there. I'm telling you, it's going to be a good one. Also, during the week, we're going to be hosting our popular Bluffton Block Party. And uh, we're adding a new event to the lineup, which will be on Friday. And that will be called Food Truck Friday. So watch for more information about that. And uh, we hope you'll come out to the Shelter Cove Park with us to enjoy that on Friday afternoon. And thanks to so many of you who took our Power Hour survey last, last week. Uh, it was encouraging to see so many, so many responses. And those of you who turn, turn, tune in regularly said that uh, you like the time which it is, you rely on Power Hour for some of your top information and topics, and uh, like to continue with the pace in which we're doing it. We also asked what the number one topic our listeners were interested in hearing. And that number one topic is uh, what you want a better understanding of, and that's the Highway 278 corridor project. Imagine that. In true Power Hour fashion, we brought together the entities involved with the project to gain a, certainly a better understanding of where we are in the process and what we can expect moving forward. Our first guest is County Council Chairman Joe Passamit to talk about the role the county and SCDOT play in the process. And then they're along with their collaboration with the town of Hilton Head Island. Uh, welcome to Power Hour, Chairman Passamit. We know your schedule is busy this morning, but we certainly appreciate you joining us to uh, fill us in on the latest. Thank you very much. Can everybody hear me? Um, unfortunately, I'm getting ready to go into a meeting so I'm in a parking lot in my car. So that's why I'm not face-to-face uh, -face with everybody. Um, so let me address where I believe we stand, give you some history and where I think we're going. Uh, for the last four years, Buford County and Hilton Head have gathered initial thoughts, conducted multiple studies, listened to community input. We were presented with 17 bridge alternatives to address the corridor between Moss Creek in Bluffton and Spanish Wells on Hilton Head Island. And as a result of all of that, 
one alternative was chosen. That one preferred alternative was then further refined through community feedback and incorporated with many of the recommendations from a study that was conducted by the town of Hilton Head. MKSK did that study, had multiple recommendations that were incorporated in there. So where are we now? Well, Buford County is the lead agency for the project. We've signed an IGA, an intergovernmental agreement that holds the county responsible for the project to start by 2024 and be completed by 2028. Two thirds of the county project cannot be changed because of the bridges, where they start and where they end. No matter how many additional studies we do, the, the bridge is gonna start in Moss Creek, travel across the intercoastal waterway to Pinckney Island, cross Skull Creek and proceed to Windmill Harbor. The federal guidelines are non-negotiable since this project crosses the intercoastal waterway and the Pinckney Island National Wildlife Refuge. Now we do have flexibility once we're inside the town limits of Hilton Head. And we believe that the current plan for the one mile stretch through the Stony community is good. Uh, additional funding has been given for that portion. Uh, and another study, an MOA or MOU, however you want to say it, has been adopted by both Hilton Head and the county to move this project forward. So where are we now? Well, we're ready to submit the FONSI. We love these acronyms to the F. HWA. FONSI is the finding of no significant impact to the Federal Highway Administration. We've had a pre-submittal um, meeting with the Federal Highway Administration and SCDOT, and they have two concerns. One is a funding gap. We're about $39 million short on the total funding for the project. They're okay with that because they believe we are going to go out for a referendum in 2024 that will address that funding gap. Second of all is the town consent, the municipal consent of the town. They're okay because of the MOA that we have signed. With those two in hand, we will probably submit within the next couple of weeks to the Federal Highway Administration to start the final designs of the project by late summer. 30% of the bridge has been designed. The remainder of the bridge will be designed during that time frame, and we will be able to begin the construction on time and have it completed on time. So that's um, my belief of where we stand in a little bit of history in a short period of time before I go into my next meeting. Can anybody hear me? Oh, there we go. Yes, sir. They were connected. Yes, we heard every bit of it. Thank you. A few questions for you if you've got just a minute before you go into the next meeting. Yep. And uh, it's the first one's coming. Thank you. The first one's coming from Rick. And Rick is asking about how much public input there has been as part of the project. Oh, gosh. There have been many, many meetings held 
over the last four years about public input uh, on how the bridges would look, you know, where they start, where they end, what uh, we can do, what we can't do. Uh, we've had public hearings, public meetings, uh, and there will be additional input as the construction begins. This is not, well, we're just going to start construction and you're out of it till it's done. No, there will be input all along the way. And uh, Julie is asking about uh, the philosophy on how many lanes on the bridge there will be. What's the philosophy behind that? Well, the philosophy behind that is the federal government has the standards that they set under bridge construction. There are going to be three lanes and a breakdown lane each way. Um, now, they wanted two breakdown lanes on each side. We think we have convinced them that we only need one breakdown lane. Um, so the, the bridge will be three lanes each side with a breakdown lane, one single span. Great. Thank you. And the, uh, the next question is, there was discussion about the possibility of turning one of the old bridges into a park. Is that still a possibility or not? Uh, the answer to that is no, because uh, the bridges have to be replaced. Their lifespan has a certain timeline. Uh, the one bridge, obviously built in 1958, is beyond its span. Every other one of the bridges do not meet seismic uh, uh, standards. So uh, to do a park, the federal government would have to turn the bridges over to the county. The county would be then responsible for maintaining those bridges, which is a cost that we do not feel is um, bearable. All right, thank you. A couple more I know before you have, to, before you need to run. Uh, the next question is yep. coming, coming from Steve, and Steve is asking, is there still a plan for a signal at Windmill Harbor? Yes, yes. And what we're doing is hoping to put a temporary one in uh, as the project begins. But yes, there is absolutely a single signal at Windmill Harbor. All right, Michelle is asking, do we have preliminary specs or drawings yet? 30% of the bridge has been designed. Once it is submitted for the FONSI and the FONSI is accepted, then we can go forward with the final designs of the bridge. So uh, we have some renderings that people can see on the website, but that is not the final, final design until late this summer. Next question is from Benjamin, and Benjamin is asking, what is plan B to cover the funding shortfall should the transportation referendum fail? Uh, that's a very good one. Um, we haven't, um, uh, we're putting together plan B as we speak. So stay tuned. We will have a plan B should the referendum fail. But we're hoping that the referendum won't fail because we intend to address the remainder of what needs to be done on Hilton Head Island to make that a, an entirely safe corridor from one end of the island to the other. 
All right, uh, Mr. Chairman, one more question before we let you run. And uh, I guess this one yeah. is, uh, it's coming from Jeff. And if you had a crystal ball, when will construction begin? Uh, probably, I would say no earlier than December of 2024 or the beginning of 2025. All right, there you have it. I feel like uh, we had uh, rapid fire questions with you this morning, but it's very helpful having you for the short time. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, I'm sorry I couldn't be there in person and would have liked to have stayed for the whole meeting, but um, duty calls. Very good. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Okay, thanks. Have a great day, everyone. Bye. Next, uh, we'll move right on to the town of Hilton Head Island, and we all know that uh, they play a pivotal role in the corridor project. And they recently formed a committee related to the project that includes citizens' involvement. And here, here to tell us more about that is uh, the uh, Hilton Head Island's assistant town manager for Q community development. And uh, Sean, Sean Cohen is glad to be with us. We're glad to have you with us. Good to see you there, Sean Collins. Yeah. No, thank you, Bill, and thank you for uh, inviting me to, to participate in this panel. Um, well, one, I'd like to thank the county and the state for their partnership and working uh, closely um, and listening to the town for, on input for the project. Um, I think in the past couple of years, we've really made um, strides in improving um, what's been proposed throughout this um, this past many years. Um, we continue to work, as, uh, as Chairman Passament said, on execution of provisions of a jointly adopted memorandum of agreement, um, which includes recommendations that the town council adopted back in October of 2021 to improve the project. Um, as you recall, some of the intersections through the Stony community um, were a little bit foreign to, uh, to us here in the low country. Um, and so uh, there have been several improvements that have been made that were advanced in a, in a modified preferred alternative that was released last March. Um, since last March, we worked uh, we worked hard with the county to reach the memorandum of agreement and the provisions that are within it. Uh, one key item was to um, do an independent review of the existing work that had been done. Um, and we are working with the county. They procured a consultant, uh, engineering consultant to do that work. Um, and we're jointly working uh, with the county um, as that work advances. Um, one key um, change or addition to the process was um, in January, our town council um, asked our town manager to um, procure our own consultant to do an independent study um, to make sure that we have the confidence necessary to make an informed decision uh, especially as this uh, project impacts our community uh, so directly. Um, and so our, our, our council um, approved creation of an, an advisory committee made up of five members and an alternate. Um, our mayor, uh, Alan Perry, serves as the town council representative. Um, we've got a, um, an engineering representative, um, two citizen representatives, and then uh, representatives from the Stony community, one one member and one alternate. Um, and so that committee has been formed. Uh, they met in uh, late April for the first time um, and we'll meet again on May uh, May 12th, next Friday. Um, and the purpose of the, the committee is to uh, make sure that the scope that our consultant will uh, execute, scope of the project our, 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 our consultant will execute 
will give us the confidence that we need to look at some key elements with this project. Um, we wanna make sure that we're looking at the right scope of the project. Um, while the, the scope that was defined with the county and the DOT, um, the project ended right before the cross island uh, split on, on the island, we're looking at um, intersections downstream um, on the cross island route, route um, through Palmetto Bay Road and all the way to Sea Pine Circle. Um, and then on the business route, all the way to Hooping Crane Way, Indigo Run, the, the main intersection there in the, in the Indigo, Indigo Run and Hilton Lake Plantation. Um, to really understand those downstream impacts, you know, what will this project do? What will the impacts be uh, further downstream um, than just the project area? And also look at alternatives, the alternatives that were evaluated as part of the, the NEPA process and are included in the environmental assessment that the chairman Passament mentioned be submitted to federal highways, but also look at alternatives that, that may have not been considered that a qualified consultant may think are worthy of evaluation uh, and really understand the impacts as well as the mitigation options that are available um, to, um, to offset those impacts through our community. Uh, we're happy to see that there's been some movement on the on reducing the number of breakdown lanes on the bridge and the overall width. Um, and, we, and we're thankful to the county and the state as they continue to listen and be our, be our partners there. Um, our, again, our advisory committee will meet next Friday on the 12th uh, with a goal to refine that scope and recommend to council so that we can uh, solicit a request for qualifications to get our own uh, engineering consultant in here to do uh, that work. Um, another key element that was part of the memorandum of uh, agreement with the county and something that the town has been executing is the installation of adaptive traffic signal technology or smart signals. Um, as some call them. Um, we built it into our capital improvement project for this year, and we're currently executing a project. You may see uh, some bucket trucks um, at signals moving around our 25 signalized intersections, uh, but it's adding this adaptive traffic signal technology uh, so it monitors and adjusts signals in real time. Um, we expect to have that project complete here in June and then do some testing and a few other things, but have the system live here this summer. Um, and to really understand the impacts and implications of that system and how it may um, affect performance, um, as well as the impacts in the corridor uh, where this project is being proposed. So having the benefit of that, uh, of that technology and the results to evaluate uh, may, may modify some potential solutions uh, that are that are put forward. And so we're happy we worked jointly with the county to procure our adaptive traffic signal um, contractor uh, with the anticipation that the county will extend the same technology all the way out to I-95 uh, when the time is right and they have funding to do so. Um, and so we're happy to do that. But those are the key elements that we have executed um, since the memorandum of agreement that was adopted jointly with the town and the county in October. Um, and then the additional um, request to have our own consultant come on board to really evaluate scope alternatives, impacts, and mitigation. Um, we're optimistic that our committee will advance the scope here in the very near term to get that to council for their blessing. Um, and then we'll put that, um, that request out to get a contractor here on board working for the town to do, to do the work that is defined by the committee. Um, that's where we're at, uh, Bill. I appreciate the uh, the time, and I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. All right, Sean. 
Thank you, Sean. We appreciate that update. Yes, there are some questions for you. Appreciate you uh, uh, being willing to answer them. The first one's coming from Rob, and Rob is asking, how is traffic flow being addressed between Bluffton and Hilton Head Island? Well, Bill, that's a great question. Um, you know, um, I, I'm one that commutes, and so I see um, the pinch point at Moss Creek, um, the Bluffton uh, flyover as it merges into uh, William Hilton Parkway. Um, but as, as you come on the island, we've adjusted our uh, signal timing to maximize green flow in the peak hours, uh, both on island in the AM and off island um, in the PM. And we've seen some benefits. You know, there's no uh, solution at this point for the volume of traffic, uh, but we have tried to maximize the signal timing to make sure that we uh, are maximizing the efficiency of the system that we do have. All right, thank you. And Linda is asking, will there be a separated bike pedestrian path? Um, on the in the current um, preferred modified preferred alternative that was advanced last um, May, and what we what we recommended or are asked to be included is to have um, that path our path multi-purpose pathway connection uh, to the bridge, um, and then uh, currently on the um, on the plans or the proposed plans for the bridge would be a 14-foot-wide um, a separated bike and ped um, connection on the south side of the bridge uh, to the mainland. And so, yes, yes, sir, that, that that is part of what is currently contemplated for this project. All right. Sam is asking, what is the committee's or council's biggest concern about the project at this time? Well, that's, that's a good question. And we, again, we've only had one meeting with the committee. And um, so I don't want to speak unilaterally, but I think right now it's really to understand the possibilities um, for and alternatives um, to see if any um, alternatives that were evaluated were, were dismissed prematurely, or if there's any other options that might be available. I think really that impact and mitigation component um, from wherever the bridge lands uh, through uh, the stony community or, or uh, to those direct impacts to our community need to be evaluated, quantified, and mitigation plans uh, drafted so that we have some confidence that we're making the right decision. Um, so I think that those are the two key items. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, Trish is asking, are there town concerns over the light at Windmill Harbor? Well, I know that there have there were public comments um, throughout this process, um, some that that speak for or against. Um, you know, I think we want to evaluate with our with our traffic uh, experts um, to see the benefit of the um, of the installation of the signal there uh, versus the impacts it will have on on performance and, and overall quality of the experience as you come through that corridor. A related question to that from Emily, and uh, Emily, Emily is asking, when will the temporary light go into Windmill Harbor? Um, we, well, we don't control that. Um, it's that's a, the county would um, would control the timing of that installation. Um, I, so I don't have an answer to that. It'd be good be a good question for the county. We've been asking uh, for uh, um, an estimated date for that as well to understand the impacts and timing, but. But question for the county, Bill. Okay. And Josh is asking, will the old bridge be kept uh, to be used as a fishing pier? 
Um, the current plans um, have the removal of the bridge as part of the environmental mitigation. Um, and, um, and so right now, I don't believe that the, the former bridge is um, contemplated to be kept um, as it would have to be turned over from the South Carolina Department of Transportation to the county um, uh, or the town and um, who would be responsible for maintaining that facility. We know that it has some structural deficiencies. So um, I think right now the to offset the environmental mitigation, removal of that is part of that plan. Thank you. Rodney is asking about the number of consultants that the town has hired to, to uh, consult on the project. We contract, uh, good question. We contracted with um, MKSK um, and we started working with them in April of 2021 um, and um, drafted with them in partnership uh, 26 recommendations that we advanced to the county and the state to help with the project. Um, and so we had have, we have, we have them in partnership um, and then we will go out and select another consultant to do this independent study um, that was requested by town council again, to evaluate the scope, alternatives, impacts, and mitigation. So one more consultant is anticipated um, as we move forward. All right, uh, the next question, I think you're gonna have to maybe pull your crystal ball out on, but uh, Scott is asking, how will the Smart Signal program relieve traffic at Spanish Wells, at the Spanish Wells and Gumtree Light? Well, another, another great question. Um, so it, it all depends. So during what we've heard is during peak flow, like peak hour uh, traffic, when there's a lot of volume, um, you won't see a significant increase in performance, um, but you'll see a significant increase in performance when it's not during that really peak saturated period. Um, it, it activates the signal system um, as, a, as a true system. Um, it has radar detection um, for bike and ped crossing, so you won't get the the um, the, the crosswalk uh, signals running when there's no one there. Um, so it does make the system overall much uh, more, much more efficient, and um, and so you will see some some improvements in that. It'll adjust the signal timing based on true volume and um, and and the turning movements that are needed to clear the signal. So you will see some. Um, just not quite as much during that peak saturation period in the AM or PM. All right, Karen is asking when you expect for traffic work to begin after you cross the bridge on Hilton Head Island. Um, well, the adaptive traffic signal project is um, is underway. I anticipate that um, the work on Hilton Island would be in concert when both the town and the county agree to advance the project that uh, Chairman Passamit mentioned. Um, and so it would be uh, similar to the time frame that he had estimated in his comments. Sean, that's, uh, that's gonna do it. That's all the questions we have for you. I appreciate you taking time and being with us first thing this morning and uh, continue to, to work hard on the project as you know how important it is to everyone. Yes, sir, thank you for having me and everyone have a, a wonderful day. All right. Great job. Thank you, Sean. As we move forward, we know that uh, May marks the start of nesting season, which runs through October. And uh, here to talk turtles with us 
is Kim Costello, and uh, she's been with the Turtle Patrol program for almost 20 years. And Clint, Kim, we're glad to have you with us this morning. And I know that, that Amber is uh, out of the country in Costa Rica, and she's uh, checking on some leatherback turtles there, I believe. Well, nice to meet you, and thank you for having us. Yes, we're very, very excited. Turtle season has started yesterday. May 1st was our first, oops, two days ago. May 1st was our first patrol. We've been out and we still haven't seen any turtles. The turtles are reptiles, as, as you know, and they don't do well in cool weather. And right now it's still pretty chilly during the night and during the morning hours when the turtles come ashore. So the turtles uh, that we have here are loggerhead sea turtles, and they are at least 30 years old when they come ashore for the first time to nest. They weigh between 300 and 350 pounds and are about three and a half feet long. Each mother can lay up to eight nests, eight nests at a time uh, during the summer and lay 120 eggs in each of those nests. We have usual or averages between four and six nests per year. Um, then they take off a couple of years because they have depleted their bodies so to the point where they can't possibly reproduce for the next couple of years. Our loggerhead mothers are, um, are returning not only to our beach, but to Georgia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. And we've had one nest so far this year. Last year, we had 400, uh, sorry, yeah, 423 nests. Our biggest year was 463 nests. What we really need from the public, and that means tourists and locals, we need people's cooperation in trying to keep the beaches as litter-free and as hole-free and as um, clean and pristine and quiet and dark as possible. The light, lighting ordinance went into effect in 2021, which says that no light should be visible in, in common language, no light should be visible from the beach. This is very, very important. And this is a problem that we have every year that light distracts and disorients turtles that are coming up on shore. The mothers are, are repelled by the lights. They don't like the lights, but the babies, the hatchlings, when they emerge from the nest, they are looking for the wide open expanse of the horizon line, which is for millions of years, like 80 million years, have been the um, uh, lit by the moon and the stars reflection off the ocean. Well, now that we have the um, artificial lights up and down the beaches in the hotels and condominiums and private residence, they can't find the ocean. And that's because they are geared instinctively into finding the ocean through using that light. And the artificial light is much more dominant than the reflection of the, of the moon and the stars off the ocean. So the problem that we have um, was rectified in 2021 when Hilton Head Island voted to put in an ordinance that says no lights should be visible from the beach. 
What that means is you, people do not have to sit in the dark. They just need to have their lights either their drapes closed or their lights to be shielded, downward facing, amber colored is best from 10 p.m. until 6 a.m. in the morning, starting on May 1st and ending on October 30th. The turtle nesting season is about now when the water temperature gets to be about 70 degrees and that's around May 1st until about the middle of August. That's when the mothers are coming up in two week intervals each time laying 120 eggs in nests that they have dug. It takes them about two hours to do that whole process depending on the tide because it doesn't matter to them if there's a full moon or a high tide or a low tide. They come out whenever they need to nest and get and release those eggs. So when they come ashore, they have only one thing on their mind, and that is to find a nice, clean, um, dark spot of warm sand to dig their nest and to put down their 120 eggs. That's why we need people on the beach to use red light flashlights when they're walking. We don't want anybody to be in any kind of a danger. And it is can, can be kind of dangerous walking on the beach at night because we have lots and lots of tide changes. So there are holes left in the sand by tourists and by locals. Um, and if they aren't filled in, you can easily twist an ankle or a knee walking on the beach. So please take your red light flashlights because even though the turtles do see the red light flashlights, it's not as disturbing to them as the white lights. Um, let's see, what else did I wanna tell you about? Oh, Celebration Park. Every single Monday night, there are free talks given by Amber, Amber Kuhn. She is a marine biologist and she heads our program and has for many years. Um, it's at Celebration Park down at Caligny. It's eight o'clock open to the public free. Bring your blankets or your chairs and come hear Amber talk. This year we have an exciting new development. We have rented the, a jumbotron from the Island Recreation Center. So we will have a lot more um, video um, presentations uh, of ability. Um, that's every Monday night, starting on June 5th, I believe, it's Monday, the Monday after Memorial Day, running through August 28th, I think, that's the last Monday in August. Um, let's see, this is the 50th anniversary of the Endangered Species Act. It was put into effect in 1973. All seven species of sea turtles are on the list. And all of the sea turtle, well, six out of the seven sea turtle populations are in the US waters somewhere, either in the Atlantic or Caribbean or the um, Gulf of Mexico or the Pacific. Only one, the Australian flatback, does not make any kind of appearance in the US waters. Um, let's see, Amber's been on patrol for 25 years. This is my 21st year. I've lived here in Hilton Head for 30 years and became fascinated with sea turtles. And soon 
wiggled my way onto the sea turtle patrol. And um, like I've said to many people, it's um, till death do us part for sure. The other person that I'd like to mention is Nancy Weckhorst. Nancy started the program here under the direction of Sally Murphy in 1981. 1981, Nancy was walking and biking and recruiting kids, teenagers, to come and help her find nests, document nests. And while she was doing this, she was noticing that there were more turtles washing up dead. It's called stranding, but it, they are dead. Then there were nests on our beach. And to get to the bottom of this, there was a study conducted and they found that one of the problems was um, shrimping nets. And so in 1990, the um, United States or South Carolina, I believe, um, passed a um, shrimp trawling, um, um, what's it, what, well, it's called a TED excluder device. It's a TED turtle excluder device needed to be required on every shrimping boat that was using, um, was trawling in our waters. And when they did that, the incidence of bycatch of turtles drowning significantly was reduced. Nancy took many, many years off because she was involved in her business to the point where she couldn't. And now in the last five years, she's been back on patrol and we've really, really enjoyed having her back on patrol with us and giving her wisdom and stories from um, years past. In fact, on our website, Sea Turtle Patrol, Hilton Head Island, you can see two videos. One of them is Amber explaining her passion and her history with Sea Turtle Patrol and sea turtles. And the other one this year that's new is Nancy's. Nancy's um, video um, just chronicles her beginning and all the way up to her present um, um, position on Sea Turtle Patrol. So I don't know if there's anything else that we needed to go over, um, but I just want people to remember to please, please come to the beach and leave nothing behind. Please do not bring garden spades, big shovels, to the beach because that there is an ordinance that forbids them. 30 inch plastic shovel is all that you are allowed to bring to the beach and our, your holes should be only a foot deep. When you leave, please fill in your holes, knock down any of your sand castle structures, take all of your chairs, all of your tents off the beach with you so that the beach can be put to bed. This year, we you'll hear that a lot. Put the beach to bed is our byline and what we want every, every person to know and understand just why it's so important for these 80, year, 80 million year old marine reptiles to be uh, able to come and safely nest on our beaches. Thank you very much. Kim, that was terrific. Thank you. Would you uh, be willing to take questions? Do you have time for a few questions this morning? Sure. I've already done my beach uh, walk this morning, so yeah, sure. All right, good. The first question is coming from Juliana, and she is asking uh, if the talk at Celebration Park is kid-friendly. Oh, yes. Very kid-friendly, and it begins at 8 o'clock, 
And um, it's usually about an hour long. There's lots of videos and Amber is, um, is very, very interested in having families come and children be present so that they can encourage other the generations to be involved and to share our passion. All right, thank you. Mike is asking a two-part question. How many volunteers do you have for the program? And then the second part of that, is it possible to volunteer? <laughs> well, Mike, I have some um, not so good news for you. Um, it's really hard to get on Turtle Patrol, really, really hard. We have 18 members plus Amber, so there's 19 of us. And we go out every single morning at 5 a.m. and patrol the beach until the, we have completed um, the whole run of the beach. That can take, if there's nothing, if we don't stop because we have to drive at a safe speed, it can take uh, three hours to do that. So we never know how long we're gonna be out there. We start at five and I know myself and um, another colleague, Caroline Lane, hold the record for the longest sea turtle patrol. That was a few summers ago. In the middle of the heat of the summer, we were on a John Deere Gator. We actually got stuck. And we were out there with 13 nests that we had to relocate 11 of those nests. We were out there for 12 hours. We started at five and we ended at five. That was ludicrous. But most of our patrols last about four or five hours. Um, so there's 19 people on patrol and we are all such turtle fanatics that really what I tell people is you kind of have to be willing to commit murder and get away with it to get on patrol. There's another group of people that do come and help us. Um, they're called the turtle trackers and they are the ones that come out at night. We patrol in the morning and at, in the, and the evening they go out and they fill in the holes for people that don't understand what they're supposed to do on our beach. They pick up trash and they educate people who come up to them and ask questions about why they're raking the holes and shoveling sand into holes and flattening out sand castles. So they talk to people about about the need for beach to be clean, clear, dark, and free from any kinds of holes and structures. All right, Kim, thank you. That sounded like uh, quite a 12 hour experience. And <laughs> yeah, it one was. One that I know you, you probably don't want to repeat anytime soon, if ever. No, thank you, anyway. <laughs> next question, the next question is coming from Jana. And Jana is asking how the turtle program is funded and then how do I make a donation? Oh, you are wonderful, Jana. We are all, we are privately funded. We don't get any funds from state or federal and um, we get grants and um, private donations are very welcome. It is Sea Turtle Patrol, Hilton Head Island. You can go on our website and look at that and you can donate that or you can do something cool. And that's called, we have an adopt, a, a, a dedicated, sorry, nest dedication program that you can sign up for also. And you can dedicate a nest to someone and make a donation for that. And then you will receive information on when your nest has been laid 
and the results of your nest. So that's a pretty cool thing. And, and we have a lot of uh, nest dedications already for the season. So if you are thinking about it, please jump in, get on our website and see if, um, see what nest is available. Kim, one more question for you, and that's coming from James. And <clears throat> James, James is asking where he can purchase a red flashlight. Oh, that's a good question. There are many um, places around Hilton Head Island. One of our sponsors is the Surge Group, and they sell red light flashlights at the um, Coastal Provision Stores in Caligny and in Shelter Cove. All of the hardware stores, um, the True Value, the Graco, and um, the, um, any of the local hardware stores also have red light flashlights. Thanks for asking that question. Kim, thank you so much for being with us today. And not only that, but what you and all the volunteers do uh, for this wonderful program. It's greatly appreciated, certainly by the Chamber of Commerce and all of our residents as well. Well, thank you so much for having us. And we do appreciate all of the support and love that we feel for the sea turtles. And we look forward to a great season. You're terrific. Thank you so much. Bye-bye now. Bye. Also on the, our website, if you wanted to go to hiltonheadisland.org, you will see in the left upper corner there is a call out for the sea turtles. And I'd encourage you to do that and look through uh, some of the information that we share there. Uh, also remember May, May 15th through 19th is our small business week. Please sign up for the seminar if you're interested and uh, call, the, call the chamber with any other questions you might have. We appreciate you being with us today. Thank you very much. Enjoy the great weather and we'll see you again. Mark your calendar June 7th for our next Power Hour. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you.